Hey guys, welcome to our online campus. Whether you're joining us through YouTube or our podcast, we're really glad that you're here today. Let's tune into today's message here at Higher Vision. Enjoy. question how many of you have seen the TV show this is us okay how many you've never seen it how many of you um, went and watched it since last week because we were on this topic do we have anybody we have no influence in anyone's lives when it comes to important things no I think we had a few that did, did it thank you well listen I'm not promoting a show but here's the thing about the show when you watch it it's about family and you see all the struggles and the joys and when you watch it you go man this is us this is our family and that sparked an idea for me because as I was reading through the book of Corinthians, I kept thinking, gosh, this is us. This is America. This is the church in America. And so what we've done is we're going to work in four weeks through a really long book, the book of Corinthians. But we're just going to grab the main principles, the big ideas. Last week we talked about the idea of unity. That God's called us to not be divided, but to be united. So... I want to share with you, first of all, some of you might think, well, gosh, how was that church 2,000 years ago or that city, the city of Corinth, like America? Well, let me give you a quick list. These are some things that describe the city of Corinth. Um, if you take a look, number one, they were divided. I mean, we live in a divided nation right now. Number two, they were prosperous. I mean, in America, we're prosperous people, right? Um, they were prideful. They were obsessed with sex. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. They were struggling with drugs and alcohol, substance abuse. Not only that, they were sue happy. They were going to the court and suing over everything. Not only that, they were sports crazed. The amphitheaters were filled with gladiators and exotic animals fighting each other. And, and uh, do we have any football fans in the house? Okay, point made. Um, not only sports crazed, but body conscious. They were all about their bodies and how they looked. And, and lastly, they had an incredibly high divorce rate. Does this sound like someplace you know? Come on, anybody? This is us. And what we began to find is that this culture began to impact and influence the church. So Paul says, listen, you need to deal with some of these things. So I want to read to you our, our, our verse today. We'll dive into it a little bit more, but it simply says this. Paul writes to the church. Now, Paul founded the church in Corinth. And then five years after he had left and was around traveling and speaking... And, and raising up new churches, he kept sending letters back to bring care and leadership to the church he'd started. And he writes back to them, and he's like amazed because he got a report. He said, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. I can hardly believe it. You're so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in shame and sorrow. So we're going to dive into what Paul had to say today. And I just want to say, we're going to talk a little bit about sexuality and sexual immorality and, and so today I'm going to ask you for a little grace because I know that this is a sensitive topic especially in church but uh, how many know you got to love everyone to get to heaven including your pastor <laughs> come on we got to love so give me a little grace today and just open your heart so let's pray Father we welcome you I ask you for a, a, a grace and an anointing on the message today and I pray that the word would speak not me speak loudly. In Jesus' name, and everybody shout it. Amen. Thank you. So here's what I want to do. I want you to give me a couple minutes to, to lay a foundation, and I want to tell you a little bit about the city of Corinth when it comes to this issue of sexuality. And as I talk about Corinth, 
you'll, you'll see some things that are interesting. Here's the thing about Corinth. Corinth was known as a very sexually perverse city. In fact, the, the chief god of Corinth was Aphrodite, or Venus, which was the goddess of licentious love. And in their temple, they had over a thousand prostitutes that were employed by the church and the people would go to their religious activities and engage in sexual immorality. That's what they would do. Now, the city and the, the temple was, was in ruins. There were some things that happened and it was destroyed. And they never rebuilt it and they never restarted this practice. But this spirit of licentious um, sexual immorality continued on in the city. In fact, what's interesting is if um, you were in the action of prostitution, you were you were called someone who was Corinthicizing someone. In fact, if you wanted to call someone a sexual pervert, you called them a Corinthian. And as you study and, and you look through history, here's the thing. They were not only tolerant of sexual freedom, they celebrated it with great pride. They would have great pride parades talking about their you know, sexual promiscuity, and they would, you know, they would put, you know, bumper stickers on the back of the camel with the rainbow, and they would have, you know, they were excited and not just tolerant of sexual immorality, they were enthusiastically celebrating it. It was rampant, it was a city rampant with gender confusion, and sexual assault was legal in some ways with the, the slaves in the city and some of the lower class. They had homosexuality, they had bisexuality, they encouraged sex before marriage, they had swingers and open marriages, they had strip clubs, they had drag queens, anything you could think of, they were openly, enthusiastically flaunting and celebrating it. In fact, the rich would, would throw parties, and when the rich would throw parties, and you came to the party, they were known for this, that they would literally, as you came to the party, every guest would be giving given a prostitute to entertain them for the party. In fact, they had um, special um, events for young men who became men at the age of 18, and the same practice would be used. Everyone that came would get a prostitute for the party. They were also a city known for rampant sexually transmitted diseases. It was spreading like crazy in the city, and because of the lack of medical technology to treat it, they began building shrines, which were these little places, like a, almost like we call a modern-day um, ancient Greek uh, clinic. And at these little clinics, they would basically build statues of human genitalia. And people would go there and pray that their God would heal them from their sexually transmitted disease. Now, I know some of you are going, man, that's crazy, cray-cray. Come on, that's cray-cray. But before you get too judgmental about Corinth, let's talk about America for a minute. I'm going to give you some statistics. Did you know that in America today, that Americans now spend more money every year on porn than they spend on rock music, country music, jazz music, classical music, Broadway plays, and ballets combined? Did you know that in America, there will be more revenue come in through pornography, then revenue will come in in the NFL, NBA, and National Baseball Leagues all combined. Did you know that more people this month will visit porn sites 
than they visit Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter all combined. In America now, 43% of Americans believe and consider porn to be morally acceptable. In fact, in younger generations, college age and down, or young adults and downs, uh, down, now the statistics say that 83% of males are on porn every day, 30% of females are on porn every day. There are now over 100 million, today, there will be over 100 million unique users visit free porn sites just today. That's not 100 million views, that's 100 million unique users just today. There are over nine um, or over 2,100 strip clubs in America, which bring in millions and millions of dollars. And there are over 9,000 massage parlors in America that are, they're, they're suggesting are being used for sex trade. In fact, I just found out before the service, in our city alone, you may not know this, there was recently a sting where they were arresting because of the sexual immorality activity that was going on. And in fact, our city, there are 75 massage parlors and only 10 of them have not had issues of licensing because of sexual activity. Only 10. Did you know that because of sex trafficking this year, $99 billion will be given to sex traffickers because of sex trade? And we're quick to talk about how it's horrible, but here's the problem. The demand just keeps increasing. And who is the demand? America. What we don't realize is that this is us. In fact, it was interesting because as I was doing research and studying all the statistics, I just happened to randomly, a little later in the day, go to a news app. And as I was scrolling down the news app, I saw something that blew me away. And it said, sex vacations, now the rage. And they now have where you can, for $5,000, go away for four days. And when you arrive at this a beautiful location, this resort, you'll be given two prostitutes um, that are drug-friendly, that you can do drugs, you can drink, and with all of the people, you can engage in sexual immorality for three or four days straight, and they're selling them out like hotcakes. This is us. Cray-cray! Come on, anybody out there, say amen. We see it in America. Our culture is moving more and more towards that, and so Paul basically isn't just speaking to the Corinthians when he wrote this letter. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to us in the day we live in. And what does he say? Well, he gives us some thoughts. I'm going to give you two points today with a few subtle points underneath that, subpoints, And it's going to help us to, to understand what's going on and how do we address that in our own lives and in the church. So let's begin. Here's point number one. If you're taking notes, write this down. First of all, Paul says, be careful of self-deception. Everybody say that with me, including on those joining us online. Be careful of self-deception. Paul begins by saying, hey, listen, guys, I, I, I'm writing to you because I heard that there's sexual immorality, not just in the world, it's worked its way into the church. And then he goes on to describe some of that. He says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, he begins by saying, don't fool yourselves. Don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Think about that for a minute. Those who convince themselves that, well, I can live however I want, because God's a God of love. He's a God of grace. 
So I'll use my license as a liberty to live like the world. God says people that do that, that live that way. Now, I'm going to tell you, you don't hear preaching like this in church very often. And to be honest, I was a little nervous as I was thinking about this weekend. Not because of the message, because I know that we live in a culture that's it's so clouded and convoluted. And, and if we're not careful, we build up these walls and, and we, we don't hear truth anymore. And God says, listen, don't live that way. Don't fool yourselves. Then he goes on in the next verse. He says, the people that engage in those kinds of sins are not going to live you know, and experience eternal life, the kingdom of God. He says, but you say, I'm allowed to live however I want. Grace. But not everything is good for you. You can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. So here's the deal. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You do not belong to yourselves, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. You see, here's what God's saying. He's saying, listen, I've given you sex. There is sex, and God created it. Come on, and all of you who are married said, and it's good. It's awesome, and God gave it to us. But he said, when you have sex outside of the way that I designed it, it's not just sinning, it's sinning against yourself. And I'm going to show you scientifically that in just a minute. But let me begin by asking the question, what is sexual sin? Because right now, that's confusing. Most people don't know. A lot of people in the church don't know. What is sexual sin? It's simply this. Let me tell you what isn't sexual sin. One man with one woman in marriage. That's what God gave us. That's God's way. One man with one woman in marriage is God's way. So anything outside of, any list you want to make, anything outside of that is sexual sin. And so, so God says, don't convince yourselves that sexual sin is okay. Don't say, hey, I'm allowed to do anything. The grace of God, he covers our sin, he forgives us. Because you'll convince yourself of anything. And here's what we end up doing is we end up saying, well, listen, you know, it's, it won't hurt anybody. It's just the way it is now. Watching a little porn, it won't hurt anybody. It's behind closed doors. It doesn't hurt anybody. And, and here's the, the reality is we say, well, you know, God is just a big party pooper. He doesn't want us to have any fun. Come on, how many know every party has a pooper? That's why we invited you. Party <laughs> pooper, Right? But suddenly, that's what the devil tells us. That's what culture tells us. Well, you're just not, you're not tolerant. You're not open-minded. You haven't evolved. Because, hey, what people do behind closed doors as adults, that's, that's their choice. And they can do whatever they want. And, and God just wants to destroy your fun. He's the party pooper. But you see, God says, listen, when you engage in sexual immorality, anything outside of what I just listed, he said it's, it's a sin against your body. And I want to show you scientifically that, that being the truth. Now, how many here have ever used duct tape? Come on, how many men love duct tape? I love duct tape. I mean, it's just one of those things in your hand. You just feel like a man with duct tape. You feel like you can do anything. You can... You can build a house with duct tape. Come on, how many I'm talking about? You can cure cancer with duct tape. I mean, literally, you feel like if you just put it over the cancer and just pull it off, it's going to take it out. Because duct tape is awesome. Because it's strong, right? 
It's really hard to tear. It's strong. I love duct tape. But here's the thing. No matter how good and strong duct tape is, if I take some duct tape and I tear a piece off and I stick it on the wall, how many know it sticks and it's like rock, cement, glue? I mean, it's hard, right? It's really, it's, it's really great. But how many know that if I take that piece of duct tape and I tear it off the wall and I decide to put it back on the wall, it's not as sticky as it was. It's not quite as good as it was before. And then if I take it off again and I try to stick it on the wall, it may stick, but like one piece on the top will fall off. Have you ever seen that, how that works? Then pretty soon you take it off and put it back on and take it off and pretty soon it doesn't stick at all. And now it's not good for anything. Almost, because how many know with duct tape, you can always wad it up and throw it at people. It's like fun to do. It's like, I always love to do that. When you know when you got the piece and it gets turned and then you can wad it up. Anyway, just side. side. I don't know what that has to do with anything. Somebody say, why are we talking about duct tape? Because here's what we need to understand about the human body. Is that the human body, when you are sexually aroused, it releases a chemical in your body called oxytocin. And oxytocin is a chemical... A hormone that is released that creates bonding. So God created you to have sex in your marriage. Why? Because when you are aroused sexually with one another, it bonds you together because you're now one flesh, not two. The two shall become one. So it helps strengthen your marriage. It helps bond you together. It helps you to feel closer with one another. Literally, there's a chemical in your body to do that. Now, take that Now, hormone and put it into sexual immorality or outside of marriage. Now you start watching porn and you're sexually aroused and you're releasing the hormone to bond, but there's no one to bond with because you're just watching it. And now you're not as sticky as you should be with your your spouse. You understand what I'm saying? You lost the ability of connection. Well, we're just going to have an open marriage and sleep around and it's no big deal because we all have sexual appetites. Well, now what's happening? You're hindering your own body. You're hindering your own connection. Why? Because you're doing something outside of sexual um, purity. You're, you're doing sexual immorality. Here's the thing. God has not created sexuality uh, and, and the boundaries of sexuality because he's trying to hurt you. He's doing it because he's trying to help you. He's not trying to punish you. He's trying to protect you. So he says, I don't want you to sin against your own body because you're not going to have the sex life that you could have. In fact, I did, st- I did a research, and when I did the research and statistics, here's what I discovered. The people that watch porn, their, their marriage sex life goes downhill. You know why? Because the more sex they have when they're watching porn, the more now they're unfulfilled in their sex life and they have to conjure up images. They have to use certain things to help augment. They have to do different things because their sexual appetite diminishes and changes and they can't now be fulfilled the way they used to be fulfilled. Why? Because of the oxytocin, you lose that ability of bonding that, you see, God isn't trying to be a party pooper. He's trying to help us and to bless us. To give us something to connect us. Well, I think I should just, you know, I'm going to get married one day, so I need to see if the shoe fits. I need to, you know, find the right person because that's a big part of relationship. God's not just some guy who doesn't want you or some creator that doesn't want you to have fun. He's trying to put you in a position so that when you find that person that you're bonded and you're one and nothing can separate you. See, here's what, what God is saying. He's saying, don't fall to self-deception. Don't buy into the mentality of the world. Well, we're just open-minded now. We've evolved. 
God, when he wrote that, he didn't understand. He did understand because the culture then was just as bad as it is now. Maybe even worse. And God knew from the beginning that he was protecting you. He was wanting to help you. So he says, listen, don't buy into the lie. Don't be deceived. Be careful of self-deception. Y'all with me, say amen. Now, let me stop and say, I'm not here judging anybody because I, I, I know that everybody has struggles and temptations and have had different situations and circumstances. And what I am hoping will happen today is that you'll open your heart and that maybe you'll realize the, the, the path you've been traveling isn't God's path. It isn't God the best path, that God has a better way and that there's more for you. And so God says, be careful. He tells the church, be careful of being deceived. And then secondly, he says, be committed to accountability. Be committed to accountability. Let me read to you what he says about this situation. He's writing them. He's telling them. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, chapter 5, he says, I can hardly believe the report about you, about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even the pagans don't do. He's saying, listen, what's going on in the church that you're allowing to happen in the church that you're encouraging and not standing against? He said, it's so bad that the sex traffickers don't even like it. That the porn industry doesn't even like it. What was it? He says, I'm told, go back guys to the last verse. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with the stepmother. Some translations don't say stepmother, it says mother. So we have a man in the church who's married, who's sleeping with his mom. How many know that's cray cray? Come on, they must be from Kentucky. You know, I don't know, some of you're from Kentucky. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I didn't, I didn't. Sorry, that was bad. I'm joking. The backwoods of Kentucky. I, I, I'm joking. The, the point I'm making is that this is wrong. If you're bringing your mom to prom, something's wrong. I mean, this just isn't right. It's obvious, right? But here's the point he's making. It's not so much about the type of sexual immorality. It's about the attitude towards sexual immorality. Because he says this, he says, you are proud of yourselves. We've evolved. We're open-minded. He says, instead, you should be mourning and sorrow and shame. You should remove this man from your fellowship. Your boasting about this is terrible. This is bad stuff. If you, here's what he's saying. If you believe the line, and let me just tell you, this is our culture right now. If you believe the line, hey, if there are two consenting adults, who am I to judge? If you believe that line, you're in dangerous territory. Because what Paul says is that there should be a standard and we need to hold true to God's standard. We need to not believe the lie. We need to say, okay, we'll deal. Because here's the point. Don't just tolerate sin, deal with it. If sin is going on, Deal with it in your life. But we have this idea, well, we've evolved, we're tolerant, we're open-minded, we're diverse, we believe in freedom. Did you know that now in America, 53% of Christians say that we should embrace alternate lifestyle, which is completely opposite of what we just read in the Bible. Why? Because we have an intelligent... Um, theoretical concept that, that, that we can argue that that shouldn't be the case. So if we can come up with a justification, then God's truth isn't true anymore. 
What he's saying is don't justify it. Don't excuse it. Deal with it. Here's why this is important. I want you to know something. If you come today, we're not trying to to just um, make you feel terrible because listen, everybody has areas of struggle and, 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 and weaknesses and things to work on. But here's the point. God wants you to acknowledge your sin. Why? Because here's the point. What you uncover, God will cover. But what you cover, God will uncover. You see, what he's saying is if you'll uncover it and, and you'll get someone in your life as the church, instead of letting this man come and sit next to his mom and put his arm around her and just um, flagrantly say, hey, there's grace and I can live how I want because I can be forgiven. Instead, deal with the sin in your life. Here's why. Because when you deal with it, when you confess it, when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants to forgive you. He wants to free you. You can be forgiven and you can be free. And God will cover that sin with the blood of Jesus. But you have to uncover it. And you'll never uncover it if you justify it. You'll never uncover it if you have excuses for it to be there. Be committed to accountability. I love this verse. Now, I'll end this part of the, the, the point with this. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 7, which says... Godly sorrow brings what? And what does repentance bring? Salvation that leads to what? I don't know about you, it feels good to be clean. It feels good to be forgiven. It feels good to not live with regret. Come on, y'all out there. But the key to living with no regret is to sorrow our sin. Because when we sorrow our sin, when we have sorrow and grief, it causes us to say, God, I want, I want forgiveness. I repent. And what does that do? It brings salvation. It brings healing. It brings freedom. There are people here that are struggling with things. I'm going to tell you the key to freedom and no regret in your life is rather than just hiding it, Find the appropriate place. That's why we have circles, circles where you know you've built relationship and trust with other Christians. We can get with someone and say, hey, man, I'm struggling. Can you pray with me? We have our, our Conquer series for the men's group. We have men that go through this series and that have struggled with pornography. They get free or, or other areas of struggle. We have Celebrate Freedom. That's a great place. We have people who uh, have struggled with, the, uh, with uh, homosexuality. And we have someone in our church that leads a group and meets with people that are bringing people out of that. And they're finding freedom. I'm going to tell you something. What you cover, God will uncover. But what you uncover, God will cover. Amen. There's freedom. Now, why does he say be committed to accountability? Why does he say that? Well, here's the reason why. Because accountability stops sin from spreading. Accountability stops sin from spreading. Let me, let me explain. Look at what he says. He goes, listen, you guys have this area of sin in the church. You're not, you're not confronting anybody. You're just excusing it, saying, well, that's the world. That's the way it is. That's the way things are moving. I'm not going to deal with anything. And so what does he say? He goes, you don't realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. When yeast gets in the dough, it's not going to stay in one little area. It's going to get in all of the dough. It's going to get everywhere. It's going to spread. Cancer, usually when it's in the body, it spreads. Sin doesn't stay isolated. It grows and it spreads. And he says, if you don't deal with the sin, it spreads. 
And what does he go on? He says, get, get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. You see, we need accountability in the church. We, we need, and here's why. How many here have ever been on a diet? How many know when you're on a diet, usually one of the first things that has to go is sugar or carbs, right? I, I don't know why, but I um, am obsessed with donuts. <laughs> Not just any donut. It's uh, the big glazed uh, cinnamon crumb donuts. Anybody ever had one? That's what Jesus eats, by the way. I just want you to know. And I'm pretty sure that's what he eats. I love them, but here's what I discovered. Every stinking city that I'm in has donut shops on every corner. They are everywhere. I, I was with my younger brother a couple days ago. We were in, in Rancho Cucamonga, and there were like donut shops everywhere. It's like the devil was placing them on every corner. And so I'm trying to be good. And if you ever had one of those moments where you're trying to be good, and then you get with a friend who's also trying to be good, and then your friend goes, you know, you've been doing really good for a while now. <laughs> and you deserve, come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? You deserve a reward for all of the hard work you've been doing. I think you need a donut. Hallelujah. Yes, amen. Preach it. Right. Come on. It's like, because when one starts to move one direction, it's so easy for everybody to go with them. Pretty soon, there's cinnamon crumbs all over my face. Because justification, excuses, sin, it spreads. In fact, can I say it this way? What you tolerate just may dominate if you let it go. What you tolerate may end up dominating. How many people have we seen that in their lives? And so what Jesus is trying to teach us through the Apostle Paul, what the Word is trying to teach us is, listen, you need accountability. In the church, there should be a place of accountability. That's why you need to be in a circle where when things are getting funky and you're making bad decisions, a brother or sister can pull you aside and say, hey, what's going on? How are you? And you can then uncover what's going on. You can say, well, I'm struggling with this right now. And what can they do? They can pray with you and they can stand with you. Why? Because there's freedom. The church is here to help you get free, to help you experience forgiveness and transformation. But what's happened is we've developed a culture that wants grace without transformation. So Paul says, deal with your sin. The second thing about accountability, and this is going to make everybody nervous, so I'll tell you now. Get ready to get nervous. You ready? You nervous about getting nervous? Here we go. Ready? The, the last thought is accountability requires judgment. Oh, I don't like that word, Pastor Jared. It's interesting because Paul talks about this issue, and it's big, <clears throat> it's important. So much that he sends the, this letter to say, you guys got to deal with this, and then eventually he sends Timothy. He's like, we got to get this worked out, we got to deal with this, because if not, the church isn't going to be the church anymore. And he goes on to say this, he goes, it's not my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Whoa, pastor, I've never read that verse before. <laughs> it's your responsibility to judge those in the church who are sinning. Now, we'll talk about this more in a minute, but 
He goes on to say, God will judge those on the outside, but as the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. Now, let me, let me break this down and talk about it for a minute. Let's talk about a judge. How many know that in appropriate settings, we need a judge, right? If you're going into court, you need a judge that understands that it's balanced, that knows the law, that can handle the case. It's never seen more profoundly and importantly than in situations like American Idol. <laughs> you have to have a judge, right? And I remember back in the day when you had Simon Cowell as one of the judges. Can anybody remember Simon Cowell? Right? And you'd have someone get up and they'd start to sing, right? And they'd be, you know, singing, woo, woo, trying to be like you know, Mariah Carey, but they weren't Mariah Carey. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? And then we would all wait with bated breath for the judge, and Simon would then say, that was the worst singing I've ever heard in the history of all mankind, right? And we'd be like, that's what I was thinking, that's what I was thinking, because he knew how to, to, right, to, to, to judge talent because he had raised up a lot of talented people. He, he had an understanding of talent. And then when he would say that, then the person would argue with the judge. Well, you know what you're talking about. My mom hears me sing in the shower every morning and she says, I'm awesome. <laughs> Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Right? And we have this innate ability to kind of go, nah. Simon had it. Maybe he's a little harsh. But Simon had it. He hit the head on the nail, the nail on the head. Point is, is that he had a knowledge. You have a judge that has the knowledge. What the scripture is teaching us is that we need accountability from people who know how to judge. But what's happening in the church, Paul says, is that instead of Christians who have a standard, we're going to the world as our standard. It's kind of like this, having a drug addict ask his drug addict buddy to be his accountability partner. Hey, dude, I'm going to quit using drugs. Will you be my partner? Yeah, you got it, brother. I think we need to light up, you know, just to celebrate that we're going to do. You're right. I'm with you, man. Come on, we need to do it. Come on. How many know you have to have the right judge? And what Paul is saying is that, listen, first of all, can I say something? What he makes clear is that our job is not to judge the world. And that's the problem with the church. The church has had no influence because we've thought we're called to judge the world's sin. God hasn't called us to judge the sin of the world. God will be the judge one day. So what we do is we get banners and we post stuff and we call out everybody's sin. God hasn't called you to call out the world who doesn't know Jesus their sin. That's something that God will do. When the time comes, he wants you to be a light. But what he did say is that in the church, we need to have a place where we can have a judgment or accountability to help one another raise the standard to say, I'm not going to live down there. I'm going to live up here. You can do better. God has more for you. Now, I hear you. Some of you are immediately in your mind going, but I'm having a trouble with Pastor Jerry this morning because Jesus said, thou shalt not judge. What about that? Huh? 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 What do you have to say about that? Huh? Well, can, can I address that? Because here's the thing. He did say, thou shalt not judge. But can I tell you the context of his statement? Here's what Jesus said. Do not judge because how can you point out the splinter in somebody else's eye when you have a beam in your own? So in other words, what Jesus is saying is don't judge when you're a hypocrite. 
Don't tell someone, hey, bro, there's better for you. God can set you free when you're struggling in bondage, when you're not willing to confess your sin, when you're not willing to get right with God. You see, what Jesus is talking about is that you and I need to be at a place where we humble ourselves. And rather than excuse our sins, we say, God, I got to admit, I'm struggling. I need your help. Forgive me. And God comes along and he forgives you and he transforms you. And now as a friend and a, as a fellow believer, as part of the body of Christ, when you're in a small group and you see someone that's treading water and struggling and the, the influence of the world is coming on them, you get alongside of them and you pull them out of the water and say, God's got a better plan for you. Come on, let's raise the standard in your life. God has more for you. You don't have to um, you know, be with your mom. You, you can have more. God has a better situation for you. There's freedom for you. There's forgiveness for you. There's hope for you. There's transformation for you. What does the scripture say? Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. So now let me just say, I am not saying run around and point out everybody's sin. Boo, Pastor Jared. I saw, I saw Demo. He got two donuts from the cafe. They're only supposed to get one back there. I saw him. He's got the spirit of gluttony. I see it. I see it calling it out calling out that soon no I'm not talking about that but I'm talking about a spirit that says I'm going to be what God calls me to be so that means I'm going to be a person who can be accountable and I can even bring accountability to others and I'm not going to let someone drown because the culture says well you just got to be open minded got to be tolerant because I'm going to tell you the culture isn't even just suggesting it it's shouting it now you better be tolerant or you're a homophobe you better be tolerant or you're you just go through the list now listen I want you to do something we are called to love the world not to judge the world so I'm not talking about judging non-Christians I'm not even talking about distancing relationship from non-Christians I'm talking about that saying is if there is ever a place that you and I should say we're going to raise the standard it should be in the house of the Lord it should be the place where we say God we're going to trust your word we're going to believe your word and we're going to ask you to heal us and forgive us so that we can live up to the standard of your word because you're not trying to hurt us you're trying to help us you're not trying to punish us something today God has more maybe you're here and listen I know I know what it's like I understand I understand struggles and temptations I get it they're out there we're not trying to beat you up we're trying to get you to a place where you can find healing and freedom and I know there's some people that are like well I'm just a rebel I want to be alternative can I tell you how to be alternative I'm going to tell you how to be an alternative. I'm going to tell you how to be a rebel. You ready? You want to be alternative? Stay a virgin until you get married. You want to be alternative? Marry someone. Stay with them until you die. You want to be alternative? Pay your taxes. You want to be alternative? Honor your boss. You want to be alternative? Forgive someone when they've done something wrong to you. place of healing and freedom. Now, I'll be honest with you, I know some of you might have even 
shared things in the past and had someone in the church betray you. And on behalf of God in the church, I am sorry. I'm sorry that that happened to you. I pray that it never happens. And I pray at this church that you understand that when someone is reaching out to you, you honor their confidentiality. You, you honor their struggle and you love them and you protect them. See, what we uncover, God will cover. But what we cover and hide, God says that's where judgment comes. He said, kick this guy out. Not because he was a sinner, but because he, he was flagrant, he was belligerent, and he wouldn't repent. And today, here's the thing. If that man had uncovered his sin, never heard. You know, there are people in this church that you'll never hear about the things that they've gone through, the bad decisions they've made. You know why? What we uncover, God will cover. But when we fight, we justify, we get deceived and we cover it up, that's when we get in danger.